0: Um, uh, we're going to have Rachel now, Uh, she's going to come and read our our Bible passage this morning, which is Romans chapter 5, uh, verse 1 to 11. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 to 11. Can I just say, boys and girls, you did really well. I know my my actions were a bit odd, but you did really, really well. We're going to read this passage now, um, Romans 5, verses
1: 1 to 11. Therefore... And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Through whom we have now received reconciliation.
0: Thanks so much, Rachel. Let me pray as Paul comes up to, to speak. Father God, we do worship you for that great good news. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to the light of your word. Reveal to us all the amazingness of your love through your word. Lord, help us to see. As Paul explains, Lord God, help us to listen and understand all that you want us to know about you. Lord God, be our light this morning, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Phil. Well, if you're shorter than me, you may have been given
2: one of these worksheets on the way in. And uh, if you fold it in, you'll find that it turns into a kind of animation. If you fold it along those dotted lines, you'll find there's more underneath. And if you turn it around... You'll find a word search, you'll find a code breaker, you'll find a memory verse. So there is more still to find within that worksheet. Carry on exploring it. That one's looking awesome. A month ago, we were together, weren't we? And it was so good to be together in the sunshine, at the garden stage. Um, but the last month, the weather has been going pretty rapidly downhill. And the number of cases of COVID have been going rather rapidly uphill. I don't know about you, but I found it a pretty demoralizing time. But a bright spot for me has been reading and reflecting on Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Because in it, Paul explains how he has joy even as he travels around an empire racked by ethnic tension, ravaged by plagues, and where he is regularly beaten up, shipwrecked, and betrayed by friends. And we need that sort of joy as we head into this rather uncertain winter, don't we? But Paul uses a strange word to describe that joy. Did you notice that as Rachel was reading it to us? The word that he uses to describe it there, he says, boasting. Now, boasting is bad, isn't it? Jesus told the story of a man who had done loads of impressive good things. But he went to the temple, and he stood there, and he listed out all the great things that he had done. And at the end of it, he went home, as God's enemy. Boasting is deadly in our relationship with God. And the point of Romans so far has been to eliminate boasting. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, we are all guilty because we have all rejected God's clear revelation. Romans chapter 2 says, wherever we look down on others, we only condemn ourselves. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 20, Paul says all of us are ruled by sin. And so, chapter 3, verses 21 to 26, our only hope is Jesus' death in our place. Where then is boasting? Paul asks in chapter 3, verse 27. It is excluded, he concludes. We just come to God with empty hands, trusting in his promise. And that eliminates normal boasting, doesn't it? But Paul says it also opens the door to a new sort of boasting, a better boasting, a good boasting, not a bad boasting, a glorious boasting. Three times in this passage, he says, we boast. Look at 5 verse 2. We boast in the hope of the glory of God's. And then 5 verse 3, not only so, but we also glory, or it's the same word that's translated boast on all the other occasions in Romans, we boast in our sufferings. 5 verse 11, we also boast in our Lord Jesus Christ. And in that last phrase, we understand why it is that this boasting is different to normal boasting, the boasting that he and Jesus condemned. Wrong boasting rests on my achievements and lifts me up but this boasting healthy boasting rests on Jesus's achievements and lifts him up that's why lots of translations call this uh, rejoicing or glorying or exulting you might have that in your translation in front of you it's because I'm confident in Jesus not in me and we have amazing grounds for confidence look at verses one and two Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access to this grace in which we now stand. We have been justified. God has said over us, not guilty, innocent, I find no basis for a charge against them. And as a result, we have peace with God. Before, we were at war with God. What could be a more hopeless war than for us to challenge the king of the universe? But now that war is over. Now there is peace between us and God. Instead, we now stand in grace. God's smile is upon us. He looks at us and says, this is my child with whom... I am well pleased. And notice when it happened. Do you see that? We have been justified. We have peace with God. We have gained access to this grace in which we now stand. This is what we have. It is our secure status with God. And it is all through our Lord Jesus not through us Do you see how that gives us confidence no matter what is going on I was reading a little bit of an internet philosopher the other day when I should have been uh, preparing this talk um, and at the top of his page there was a picture of him that someone had screenshot, they had been in a zoom meeting together and he had fallen asleep and he was looking very relaxed and contented in his chair and someone had, had taken a picture on their computer, a screenshot of him, sound asleep in this zoom meeting And underneath the philosopher had written I have backed up my data I've paid my taxes I've hidden nothing from my enemies I sleep well that's a great comeback if you're caught literally napping in a meeting isn't it Um, but as I looked at it and I thought about it I thought there is one great risk that you have not got covered you exist In a vast universe that you did not make one day what is going to happen when the creator of that universe decides to get your attention that is going to be more terrifying than a tax audit or some data getting lost on a corrupt hard drive every word you have spoken you'll have to give an account for every motive of your heart will be weighed, nothing will be hidden before the one whose standard is flawless perfection. Have you covered that risk? Because if you're a Christian here this morning, then you have, and you are ready to face that moment. So when you fall asleep in a Zoom meeting, you can say, my biggest problem my biggest risk is already covered. I have peace with God. I sleep well. Try that next time you fall asleep in a Zoom meeting. But even better, try it tonight as you're going to bed. My biggest problem is already covered. My risk is taken care of. And as a result, look at the end of verse 2 we boast in the hope of the glory of God when you look to the future what do you see what is around the corner well 2020 has taught me that I don't know what is around the corner it's very hard to know what the next six months might hold but knowing that I have peace with God means that I know what the next 6,000 years hold for me and for you there is going to be a very short period of uncertainty, a very short period when anything might happen. And then either Jesus will return or I will die. And then what happens next is certain. We will see God's glory, we will be surrounded by God's glory, and we will share in God's glory. God's glory is the most weighty, wonderful thing in the universe. Friday night, I cycled home as the sun was setting, and it was a beautiful autumn evening, wasn't it? Everything lit up in a golden light, the leaves changing color, the air fresh after the storm had blown away, creation proclaiming God's glory. I'm sure that you've looked into a friend's eyes and been infected by their smile, humanity reflecting God's glory. All the good things of this world are good because a pale glimmer of God's glory shines through them. And yet, our heart's never fully satisfied by them because these things are only glimpses of God's glory in a sin-scarred, ruined world. And so our hearts hungrily carry on looking for more. But one day, one day, We will see God face to face. We will gaze upon God's glory. And we can't imagine how good that will be. But there is no harm in trying. And there is a lot of good in trying. We will have infinitely greater joy than we have ever known. And everywhere we look, we will see The glory of God as all of creation is transfigured by God's glory. And we see what this world was made to be as all the good things of this world uh, are made better than we can imagine. I suspect that dinosaurs will be there. I'm confident that mountains will be there. And I know that every Christian from every generation will be standing there before the throne, now perfectly bearing the image of Christ and reflecting God's glory as we have deep, infinitely rich relationships with one another. And you and I will be transfigured by God's glory. We will no longer be in creaky, dying, sin-addicted bodies, but we will be transformed by the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, and we will blaze with God's glory. Unsurprisingly, with that as our future, we have a very different view of the present to those around us. Suffering is not so frightening. In the 1700s, John Newton put it like this. Suppose a man was going to New York to take possession of a large inheritance and his carriage should break down one mile outside the city and he had to walk the rest of the way what a fool we should think him, if we saw him wringing his hands and blubbering all the last mile. My carriage is broken. My carriage is broken. We aren't trying to live our best life now. We don't need to be broken hearted if we don't achieve the fantasies of our cultural moments. Our future is to see, to share in and to be surrounded by God's glory. What fantasy could ever compare with that? In fact, because we are really excited about then, not now, suffering is actually valuable for us. Look at what he says, verse 3. Not only so, but we also glory or boast in our sufferings. Why would you do that, Paul? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character and character, hope. The hard things that he goes through are no disaster for him. They are like skipping for a boxer or scales for a pianist. They're not a goal in themselves, but they are training that shapes him. Alexander Solzhenitsyn spent miserable long years in Soviet prison camps. But after it, he said, bless you, prison." Bless you for being in my life. For there, lying upon the rotting prison straw, I came to realize that the object of life is not prosperity, as we are made to believe, but the maturity of the human soul. Tough things free us from the grip of this world. Paul had more than his fair share of tough things, but looking back at them, he says, Bless you shipwreck bless you beatings bless you enemies for being in my life you taught me to keep on going you formed my character and best of all you taught me to fix my eyes on the ultimate goal sharing in God's glory hard things may always be just around the corner but we are not scared We know they will only strengthen our joy in what is coming. But is it a bit crazy to be so invested in something which is all about the future? No, Paul says, because we know that it is certain. Look at verse 5. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Holy Spirit warms our hearts so that we perceive and rejoice in the love that God has for us. It's the confidence, the knowledge that God is utterly committed to us. That is what gives us the certainty of hope. And maybe that's been your experience over the last six months as everything else has been stripped away. Maybe you've had a deeper sense of God's love than ever before of his closeness than ever before. I hope that's been the experience of some of us. But for many of us, that may not have been our experience. For many of us, as we've been cut off from other Christians, unable to sing together, unable to talk informally about Jesus together, God's love may feel less real to you than it did six months ago. In which case, what you need to hear is the medicine of verses 6 to 11 because the way that the holy spirit pours out his god's love into our hearts is by fixing our eyes on the cross and Paul draws our attention to one aspect of the cross how little we deserved it he says look look sometimes people die for their friends and when they do we celebrate them and we say they are great heroes and how wonderful they are, and rightly so. But what was your relationship with God when Jesus died for you? Listen to verses 6 to 8, and as I read it, try and see how many descriptions of us you can spot in these verses. Verse 6, you see at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What were we like? We were powerless. We were so twisted in on ourselves, so obsessed with sin... we couldn't live in the way God wanted us to our moral compass was broken we were ungodly we were opposed to God at every level of our being shutting our eyes refusing to acknowledge the one who gives us every breath we were sinners we knew that God's standard was love we got angry when others were unloving But we intentionally, hatefully broke God's standard ourselves. Yet, at the very moment we defied God, when we rejected God, when we had no interest in changing, at that very moment, that is when Christ died for the ungodly. When Christ died for us. That is how much he loved us. Tonight, at the evening meeting on Zoom, we'll be thinking more about the incomprehensible, shocking nature of God's love. I hope you can join us, because it's the biggest and the best subject in the universe, and we need a miracle of the Holy Spirit to help us grasp it. And as we begin to reflect on it, we see why Paul was so certain of sharing in the glory of God, so certain that he boasted in it, so certain that suffering didn't matter to him because it caused him to love that hope more and Paul spells out the logic for us in verses 9 to 11 look at verse 9 since we have now been justified by his blood how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him in front of all the angelic powers in the universe God has declared us not guilty and he has done that justly, because Jesus' blood stained the ground when he was beaten for us, because Jesus' blood trickled into his eyes as he wore a crown of thorns for us, because Jesus' blood gushed out of his side as a spear went into it, as he he bore the penalty, the beating, the pain that we should have borne. If he's done all that, Is God going to let us be crushed on the day of judgment? No. No. That would be calling himself a liar. It would be calling his son's death a failure. No. God will save us. Look at verse 10. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? What were we doing when Jesus died for us? We were defying, hating, and rebelling against him. But at that time, he healed our friendship. God healed our friendship at the cost of watching his precious, perfect son be beaten and spat upon and nailed to a piece of wood. Now, our friendship with God is healed, and it is healed because of what Jesus has done. Now, we are united to Christ and seated in the heavenly places in him. Now the Son of God stands before the throne of the universe speaking on our behalf. If he's done all that for us, will he ignore it, trivialize it, let it count for nothing? No, he will save me. He will save you. God has publicly, clearly demonstrated his love for us and his commitment to us. Our future is not in doubt we can boast confidently in the hope of the glory of God. So we can go into this winter with confident joy. Our biggest problem is already dealt with because we have peace with God. And so our long-term future is better than we could ever hope or imagine. And suffering is actually a blessing because it helps us invest in that moment, realize the reality of that moment. Whatever happens, we can look at the cross and by the work of the Spirit we can see God's heart and know his love and so trust his ultimate purposes for us. This winter may very well end up being a difficult time. We need to be praying and we need to be ready to mourn with those who mourn. But we don't need to live in fear. We can rejoice. We can even boast, because we don't boast in ourselves or our circumstances. But we boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Loving Heavenly Father, we praise you and we rejoice in your love help us we pray to know the truth of these things help us to feel them in our hearts by the work of your spirit and help us to live wholeheartedly joyfully for you through whatever comes our way amen